0: And I hope you'll be inspired to write because, as I always say, you have a story, you should write it down. This is Pencils and Lipstick. Hello, everybody. Today is January 8th, 2022. We are on episode 113 of the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. First of all, Happy New Year, everybody. I cannot believe we are already in 2022, and as this podcast goes out on the 10th, we will be heading into halfway through January already. I'm excited to bring to you a new guest. Her name is Denise Baden, and we actually met on Twitter. And I'm really excited to talk to her because she writes with a passion, like integrating her passion of green and climate change into her stories. And she actually created a fiction book and it's going to be a series. The first one is out called Habitat Man, in which she has found that balance of adding to the fiction story what she is passionate about without being really preachy. <laughs> you know, it's hard to find that balance, I think. And because it's hard to find that balance, I Think that sometimes we avoid what really lights a fire in us altogether. We avoid, you know, controversy in our books. I know that as writers, we we'd like to say that we don't avoid controversy, but the truth is the way that the world is today, there are quite a few ideas and themes that you would completely avoid, even putting into an evil character in your book because you just don't want to have the trouble of it, right? Or you would make it really cliche, let's say, to make sure people know that you don't believe this, but your character believes this. You know, I was listening to an author talk the other day about the certain types of books that never would have been able to be written in today's climate. And I think that's it's something to think about you know i'm i'm not sure that it's always a move forward when we're keeping people from writing things i personally really cringe at the storyline of lolita i dislike <laughs> the whole premise of it but i wouldn't ever want it to not be written so it's it's hard to say what should and shouldn't be written and looking back on history is always a funny thing but That's kind of a hard topic to talk about, especially just me here waxing poetically myself in my office. Perhaps I can find someone to come on the show and talk about it. But what I want to talk to you about before we get into the interview is kind of along the lines of what I talked about a few weeks ago on who are you writing for? Are you allowing the passions that you have to come through in your work? I think it's okay to. Allow those passions to come up to integrate, you know, to be sprinkled in to the setting or into your characters. I think it's okay to have things pop up throughout several stories, and especially things that are really important to you that you sort of want to highlight in the world but don't want to write essays about or don't want to be preachy about. Um, You can do that in your fiction, you know, whether it's climate change or green solutions, whether it's human trafficking would probably be one of my things that I am pretty passionate about, whether it's, I don't know, whatever you have within you, whether it's something that you grew up with or something that you see now, not to be afraid to put it into your writing. And I say this, especially for the passions that aren't super popular there, you know, it's, it's interesting how society works and how we have popular controversial things, or I don't know if controversial is really the right word, but popular passions, and then not so popular passions, (laughs) you know, it brings to mind, I don't know what it's called on Netflix. I was completely against watching it because it's about Bill Gates. I think there's some documentary, something I just, I honestly, these days, I can't stand the glorification propaganda of anybody. But contrary to what I thought it would be about, it was actually the first episode was very interesting on how he spent quite a bit of money trying to figure out toilets. (laughs) So I have to give him credit for that. I watched it about a month and a half after coming back from Nepal and Having experience with these pit toilets, and actually they have pit toilets in France as well, and quite a bit of Europe. But the farther out you are from cities, what we would call civilization, a lot of times the pit goes nowhere. It's not connected to plumbing, and so it it literally is a pit, and it it does stink, and it does make you want to vomit a lot of times, <laughs> and it, it's it's not great, and so. I do recommend actually watching that and seeing how, I can't remember what the name of it. I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix, Bill Gates, set up, that up. It is a difficult situation in the world that people don't have access to plumbing. And there's human waste that's bringing diseases to people. And I have to give kudos or kudos is due. Like that's a that's a passion, right? I think he does want to help people. It was a bit of a glorification. <laughs> documentary which they all are but anyway that's for another day but you know bringing a passion it, toilets are not a super popular passion solutions to wastewater is not a is not a super popular thing that people want to talk about diarrhea is actually what kills a lot of people I think it might still be number one uh, it was number one for a long time and it's with diseases that are completely treatable it might be a bit weird sometimes to integrate things that you're passionate about or that you've learned or that you've you're seeing in the world into your work of fiction. I know sometimes writers avoid the real world by tucking into writing our fiction. I mean, I'm, I'm there with you on that one, but I just want to encourage you to not be afraid to bring things up, to not be afraid to add in the conversation have your characters ask a question that you're burning to ask the world or have a, a character give a solution, even if it's a silly one, even if it's just a start, even if it's just to get the reader talking. I think what we have to remind ourselves with, and I think that Denise is going to remind us in this interview, is it's really about getting people to think. It's not necessarily about getting people to do but when people think a lot of times they do, right? So you're overly preachy in your writing if your end game is to actually sort of reach out from the work and push that person into doing something. And usually when with writing, you do that through guilt or shame, right? If that's your end goal, I think that you're probably going to end up getting preachy but if you tweak that and make it your end goal to just get the person to think, you know, you could use as a, an example, Ray Bradbury and a lot of writers in the 60s who are very afraid of nuclear war and they always would write these things. You know, some sometimes their writing was a bit in your face and a bit apocalyptic, but it did get you to think that if a nuclear bomb went off, it really would just be the end you know, like what would happen? Ray Bradbury actually has a really nice short story about that. But it's beautifully written and it does just make you think like, oh gosh, what would it look like wandering around? Because he, he talks about how the shadows get pasted to the wall. And it's a, it's true. That's what happens, you know? So I think if you if you write in a way to just get that person to think, to walk away from your story thinking, huh, what could I do to change my garden as Habitat Man might get you thinking? Or what could I do to make sure my kids are safe online? Or what could I do to make sure that I'm not wasting as much food? Or what could I do? Where could I give my money or find another charity who's working to help bring toilets to people? (laughs) I don't know. There's lots and lots of passions. I don't think that you should be ashamed of the passion that you have. I think that just like your story, the passion you have is what you should be working on. And so, a way to integrate those into our fiction is, you know, at least something to think about, to ponder, and to consider this year of 2022. The year has started. I am using Story Origin to track my words this year. Usually, I have a giant Excel file. The story origin word count page is fairly simple, but, you know, sometimes simple is very nice. <laughs> you just go in, you put in your words. My goal this month is 30,000 words because I have four stories in my head and I tend to write them a bit long. So 30,000 a month, what would that make? That will probably take me about two and a half months then to write a book. ha. <laughs> That's the goal. (laughs) I laugh because I've never, I did write an audience with the King in about three and a half months. That's the fastest I've ever written a book. So (laughs) here's the 2022. (laughs) Before I get into the interview with Denise Baden, let me tell you that her website is D A B A den.com. She's going to talk about her Green Stories writing competitions. She's going to talk about her story Habitat Man um, and how she did the research and got into it. I will have the links to find Denise on Twitter, which is where I found her. I'll have links to her website, to her book, and to the Green Stories writing competition, which you are not too late to enter this year. It is a short story competition. So if you're looking to you know, enter a few short story competitions, consider this one. She is going to talk to you more about it in the interview. But before we get into the interview, please remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening to it. If you would be so kind As to give a review, that would be amazing. It always, always helps other people find the podcast. We have some amazing guests coming up in 2022. I'm very excited about it. I hope that you will subscribe, tell your friends all about the podcast, and keep listening every week, every Monday when a new podcast episode drops. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at pencils and all spelled out, A-N-D, lipstick. And you can definitely be a patron of the podcast, which helps to keep the podcast going. It helps pay for the production and the editing that just go over to patreon.com forward slash pencils underscore lipstick. You can do so for as little as $1, $3 a month or Euro or Canadian, whatever type of (laughs) currency that you have. It really helps the podcast keep going. I'm very excited to keep it going for you. I'm learning a lot from other people. I love listening to other people's journeys on writing and their tricks and tips and goals and their books. I absolutely adore doing the podcast. It's really, really fun. And I am going to start doing sponsorships of the podcast as well. I've had a couple of people ask me if they could start sponsoring on the podcast. I am trying to get that together, figuring out the logistics of it. I am one person in this business, and sometimes I don't really know what the next step is, <laughs> but I'm slowly figuring that out. So if you would like to sponsor, get your book out there or your course out there, uh, you can contact me. Me, the information you can always get my email below in the show notes. And now, over on pencilsandlipstick.com, you can find the transcripts. I am slowly getting the episodes released into transcripts so that if you prefer reading or you want to pull a quote or anything like that, you can do that. You can find that over at pencilsandlipstick.com. I am trying to go back as well and put them back into the show notes. So I'm a little bit behind on that. It probably won't be, you know, immediate every single week, but I am trying. (laughs) So the more patrons I get, the more, you know, I could actually pay a human, another human to do it. (laughs) So if you would like to sponsor the show and see those transcripts come out faster and faster and faster, become a patron of the show or advertise your book or your course Um, It has to have to do with writing, most definitely. We're not going the Spotify route and having CVS advertise on here. That's not what we're doing. And before we get into the interview, one last little thing. The Creative Writing Sprints membership has opened up. I have split it off from the community because some people just want the sprints. We have eight sprints a week. Sometimes we have surprise weekend sprints as we had today. The cost is $25 a month with a seven-day free trial. Obviously, you can cancel whenever you want, whenever you're finished with the book or whatever. We would love to see you there. All the information is in the show notes. If you would like to be part of the community in which we do marketing talks and marketing sprints, we have experts coming in to talk to us. We have Ross McMeekin coming in and Madeline Mosley coming in in the future. We're going to have lots of fun people coming to talk to us about writing and editing and marketing our books and book launching and all that. We have brainstorming sessions. We have book launching, brainstorm chat every week as well. Oh my gosh, we're doing so many things. So the creative writing community is kind of for the writers who are ready to really dig into the parallel life, as my friend Angie calls it, (laughs) that every indie author has to have the parallel life of marketing and newsletters and advertising and websites and all that stuff. Now the creative writing community has its own private Slack and we have our own different meetings, but they are also part of the sprints. So you get full access to the eight sprints a week as well. That is going to be $47 of the seven day trial. If you have any questions, just come on into a sprint or find me on Instagram. You can find me at author on Instagram. I'm mostly there. Um, I'm also on Facebook, or you could just click the links below to get to catcaldwell.com and contact me there as well with any questions, any questions at all, but you can try seven sprints for free in your seven day trial. And I'm at most of them. So you could ask me a question there as well. (laughs) All right. No, with all that said, let's get into the show and hear what Denise Baden has to tell us. Hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. Today I have with me a very special guest. Her name is Denise Baden. Did I get that right, Denise? You did, you did. Yes. (laughs) Every every time I always get nervous. Um, She is joining us all the way over from England, correct?
1: Yes, that's right. All
0: right. So how are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, and you? Good, good. It's snowing here. It's crazy. Rainy. (laughs) Everything's right. Oh gosh. So 20 years ago, I... I moved to Northern Ireland. My husband and I were talking about it the other day. So I know about rain. I know about uh-huh. the, <laughs> the <laughs> Yes, you guys do. Uh, so I really wanted to have you on. Um, we kind of talked on Twitter. I love social media, how it connects us these days. But before we kind of get, I get talking and asking you questions, will you tell us just a little bit about yourself, about where you're from and,
1: and who you are? Okay. yes. So my name is Denise Baden. And um, I guess my background, I come from an academic background originally. So I teach in the area of sustainable business, sustainable practices and so on. And a lot of it gets caught up with the whole climate change and drive to net zero. And it can be quite a frustrating world because you can feel very busy, but you find you're just talking amongst yourselves the whole time. You know, mm. I, I can be sort of chock full of green solutions and things like that, and write you know academic articles which three maybe four people might read and then <laughs> then miscite me. <laughs> um, you tend to always be preaching to the converted. So I run right. courses on you know sustainability and so on, but only those who are already interested. Engage in them. Right. And it's quite a frightening world when you have to deal face to face with all the statistics. So I think partly as therapy for myself and partly to try and reach a wider audience, I started exploring the role of fiction, mm-hmm. you know, sharing green solutions via a, a wider audience, you know, those who might not choose to watch a climate change documentary. and so on and partly i think because i became a greenie inspired by a work of fiction Mm. so i don't know are you are you familiar with ben elton he's um a a uk comedian and author he's written loads loads of books um but he he wrote a wonderful book called stark i think must be 20 years ago almost very funny set in australia sort of action adventure romance and But right in, in the middle of it, he'd sort of smuggle little little mini stories, like, for example, that like Dave, who was a water birth, and but then died within a few hours of being born. And it turns out Dave is a dolphin, trapped in a tuna net. And, oh. and I thought, oh, you know, we're always more affected by animals than people, aren't we? <laughs> it's Isn't it <terrible>. It's ter- <laughs> terrible, but we are. And then I thought, well, hang on, I can do something about that. You know, okay. I, mean, I could write Dolphin Friendly Tuna. And I never would have chosen to read about right. Dolphin Friendly Tuna. But he kind of did that throughout the book, sort of just put little that's tidbits or side stories in. And right. I think that's what gave me the idea that, that fiction can be a way to reach a wider audience. So yeah. I kind of ended up watching the journey, I guess, of a few years ago, I thought, well, we need more books. And more stuff that talks about sort of green solutions, and and I was very much worried as well that people choose not to engage because it's frightening, you know. That yeah, that's true. We don't like we don't like. You know, why why wouldn't you avoid it? You know, it's this great big scary thing that we feel we have limited power to do anything about. And I I'm not at all surprised that many people go into avoidance or denial or. Or anything, but of course, that's not very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I also think that also you can get this eco anxiety. I don't know what it's like in America, but in the UK, I'm mean, being presented with statistics all the time that most young people are having nightmares about climate change. Yeah, they I've think, heard about that. Yeah, humanity is, is doomed. And I thought, well, this kind of anxiety on its own, isn't really going to do anyone any good right. unless they can tie it to a feeling of agency that they yes. can do something about. <laughs>
0: yes, that's what I love in your your first paragraph of your bio is yeah. that you wanted to present green solutions. Yeah. it's like I can think of a couple apocalyptic movies over the last few years in which you know an asteroid comes to Earth and the end is yeah. the asteroid destroys. Earth. You're kind of like you're kind of like. Well, what can, okay, <laughs> what can I do with that? <laughs> I know. Go eat some chocolate cake as much as you want, because you're going to die. You know, I mean, I don't That's think that it. that helps that anxiety yeah. of the next generation or mean. our generation.
1: And I we did need some solutions research. I did some yeah. research to test that because intuitively, people always think we need to be alarmed in order to act. And mm. I, I did quite a lot of research in the area of news coverage. Okay. So again, the, the traditional approach of news is if it bleeds, it leads. Right. So doom and disaster. We have the world's most horrible happenings condensed, bigged up, and presented to our little brains. You know, constantly twenty four hours a day now. <laughs> and my, my my best friend is is a, a top journalist, and she's she's very much of of that ilk. But I I did some research actually, and I looked at how people responded to positively solution framed stories and negative catastrophic stories of the same kind of story like mm-hmm. ocean cleanup versus plastic in the oceans and the results were really interesting they they showed that unsurprisingly people responded in, in terms of better mood to the positive stories they felt more optimistic and, uh, right. and happy and more anxious and depressed with the negative ones but unexpectedly People were way more likely to say they would take action to address the issue if it was framed in terms of solutions and a, a positive news right. story. So there's a yeah, whole group does, Yeah, that doesn't surprise me.
0: Yeah, because I don't know about you. I ended up having to stop watching the news because they never follow up with solutions. It does no. get very frustrating. They never follow up with the end of the story. It just no. leaves you hanging in that anxious moment and they don't highlight a lot of good things that are happening in this world. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know the boy's name, but the boy that figured out that machine that takes plastic out of, oh, I think yes. from, from yeah. Amsterdam. I mean, that's genius to me. Yeah, uh, That's, you know, one of the most brilliant things because that's needed. I don't yeah. know if you've ever gone to third world countries. I just went to Nepal in November and people don't have the energy to do maybe even what they should when it's not organized in a way to help you know and so it's just like a downfall of, <laughs> of yes. one thing after the other and there are solutions to this but but we don't but we hear need them. to talk about them yeah we
1: need to hear and about people them. think you know well if you give people hope it will lead to complacency but my research showed the opposite and I replicated right. it with my uh, business ethics students I showed them positive role models of ethical businesses and negative role models of ethics scandals and again the more positive ones were much more likely to inspire ethical behavior and I did it right. in terms of how readers respond to short stories so you know mm. there were short stories green themed. some were catastrophic some were solution focused and again we found that some people were inspired to act by the more catastrophic ones but more people were put off Whereas mm. everyone was inspired to act, especially when they saw someone they could relate to taking action that they could also do. And this is really problematic because when I fed my results back to news editors, none of them believed me. They just thought positive news was sloppy propaganda. And when you look in terms of, you know, most climate fiction, it's almost all dystopian. And when you look at all the books and films that have anything to do with the environment or anything set in the future, It's terrible. <laughs> Yeah, You know, so we're doing it all wrong. And and this is what really frightens me. It's like we need to take people from a position of, you know, high awareness equals eco-anxiety, low awareness equals avoidance. We need to take them basically from a position where awareness is tied to solutions. So we have calm, effective action. You know, bypass so all we'll alarming statistics Just go straight to what we can do about
0: it. Yeah, what can you do about it? Because yeah. I know I don't remember what affected <laughs> me, but I know the dolphin-friendly tuna as well. Yeah, and I, about around two thousand or so. I can do that. You know, yeah. I can. I can do that. Like cutting the the little plastic things that go around yeah. the soda cans or whatever. I can do that. The straws. Mm-hmm. I can. You know, all these little things. And then once you implement that into your life, you feel like, well, I can do it. Another thing too, I can go find a little bit more. And I love once, I think too, for most people, once you know something. So I went to Nepal and we were dealing with ethical tourism Uh and ethical companies, you know, and talking about that. Once you know things, it's hard not to know them anymore. It's hard to really look away. And it wasn't put on us as any sort of shame or guilt, but you do start deciding and thinking differently about the things that you buy, about the stores that you go to. And if you can, to start implementing different ways exactly. of doing things right because because you can't unknow it but it seems like like you said most people are doing this dystopian uh-huh. <laughs> they want to go go over the solutions and just yeah. go okay the world is over we're either living in space or we're living you know on this yeah.
1: terrible desert or something <laughs> So I, I guess, I mean, it, exactly. And, and this is a long-winded sort of background to the reason I set up the Green mm-hmm. Stories writing yes. competitions. And I, I set up a series of free writing competitions. I paired with the creative writing lot at the University okay. of Southampton. And um, we started off with a short story competition and we got hundreds of entries, actually. Wow. And it kind of only really worked because a lot of people ag- agreed that this is exactly what was needed. So we had okay. no marketing value. People just spread the word. We had no money for paid judges, but people volunteered to judge from all over.
0: And and did you do it mostly within your students, your classes? No, like no, how-
1: it was everyone. So you know, our, you know, the winners came from you know America, Australia, across the UK, and we put the. Top how 20. did you get
0: the word out to people? Well, what like, kind of I mean,
1: anyone who's in the world of climate change communication kay. could see the reasoning and was beginning to worry right. about the same things I was. Right. So and they just it just it was networking. Wow. OK. Um, wow. So, you know, we, we got onto email lists with hundreds and thousands of people and then they spread yeah. it. And um, so, like I said, it only worked because people thought it was a good idea. Yeah. And, and we brought out a book of short stories called Resurrection Trust, which is the 20 best sort of stories from that, all in, in very different ways encompass come for solutions. Right. So, um, so the,
0: the, the outline of the competition was that it had to have a solution within the story.
1: It yeah. So we, the, the criteria were one, it has to be engaging or no one's going to okay. read. Yes. And two, it has, <laughs> it has to reflect green solutions in, in, in a number of ways. Either it just shows you know, just simply a positive role model. So, and currently, I think in fiction and movies and so on, anyone who's green or ethical or vegan is portrayed as you know, horribly irritating. <laughs> yes like annoying or weird yeah just having them a nice person is a start or you could actually sort of present a vision of what a sustainable society might look like if done well and you know you can have anything as as a plot it could be a crime drama it could be a romance you know but the backdrop could be some of the sustainable solutions And, and i on the website i kind of present a lot of transformative solutions that really might be needed to To make a difference. So, for example, moving away from an ownership culture of buy, use, dispose to an access-based culture. Like, for example, you know, almost everything we own we're not using. What Mm -hmm. if we had a library of things in every area or a shared shed? So, apparently, the average drill is used eight minutes a year (laughs) on average, but yet everyone's got their own tool set with huge resources for that. But if we, if you could just access all the stuff you have without having the burden of ownership. It's much more resource efficient, more equitable. So, you know, ideas like that. And these are beginning to catch on anyway. I think a lot of actual brands are then looking at renting, hiring, making that easier, swapping, Mm -hmm. pre-use, you know, free loved and so on. So, all kinds of green solutions on our website, we challenge them to integrate them. So, for okay. example, we have a love story set in the Library of Things where the librarian uses oh, nice. si- similar borrowing histories to, to fix people up. and oh cute., you know, so readers are engaged by the love story, but you're also promoting a more sustainable right. accessing resources. so so that's an example and we did radio plays and flash fiction and novels. And I'm really, really delighted now. Uh, I guess, you know, have you heard of Orna Ross, who set up the Alliance of Independent Authors? Right. So right. she's a, a real sort of tour de to force of the self-publishing world. She's a great yes. mentor to indie authors. And and that's actually quite a nice way in now, because we had a little bit of a problem with green stories where we had stories coming through, but, it, you know, getting them published is another matter. So she's sponsoring the competitions now with a thousand pounds for the winners, five hundred oh, wow, up, mentoring towards self-publication and so on. So that's running the we're calling it the Orna Ross Green Stories novel prize. We're doing that every December. So we're just getting the sort of the last entries have come in now. <laughs> oh well, wow but for that one. And we've got short story competition coming up in February. So, you know, we've been running these competitions and the aim is to try and create a sort of cultural body of work that showcases yeah. these solutions.
0: So have you found it to be people who were all already interested in this? Have you found people who hadn't really thought of it and maybe were sparked maybe by the challenge of it, but now are kind of in, in this yeah. area now? Like it has helped also writers learn about green climate solutions as well
1: yeah, we've had both uh, so we've had sort of writers and aspiring writers who think okay this this is something you know there's a nice competition and I can take a story I've already got and maybe sort of smuggle in some some green ideas and <laughs> um, you've had some who are sort of greenies desperate to okay. get a message out but now need to learn how to write yeah <laughs> so as a free competition I have to admit we've had Loads of really bad entries. So we we have had our share of entries. And this is something that we've addressed this time round, where we sort of um ask them to read an an extract that that demonstrates what we're looking for. We also, I would say, despite over and over and over saying we want stories to be solution focused, pretty well all of them just raised awareness. Um, So I don't know how many entries we've had about you know, our hero or heroine chucking in their job <laughs> to go out to fight, you know, evil rainforest, you know, loggers. <laughs> yeah, And it's like, your reader cannot do this. And yet none of them actually highlighted anything we can do right. to affect rainforest destruction. And, and it's almost entirely useless because who yeah. doesn't know destroying rainforest is a bad thing? You know, exactly. we know that. My kids know. My yeah, kids know. everyone knows you know. that. But if you have a story that really promotes veganism, or if you have a crime drama and you have a body, why not bury it in a nice willow coffin rather than a hardwood coffin? Oh you know, yes, there's all kinds of ways where you can kind of promote behaviours that will affect deforestation, or you know, have someone campaigning against it, or writing to their MP, or only buying shops who have a deforestation policy, or avoiding palm oil. These kinds of things. If you can get them in your book, and that's a whole other subject, I'll move on to if you can get them in without being horribly preachy, can actually show readers what they can do to make a difference. Yeah. Simply writing about rainforest being destroyed won't do it, I'm afraid.
0: (laughs) Right. It'll raise our awareness for a few more days and probably our anxiety. But like you said, there isn't a solution there. Not like your example of I can go out and and check the can on my tuna.
1: Yeah. You know, and
0: and make sure. And that probably a couple hundred thousand people doing that will cause the companies to say, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna change some things. Cause I mean, we could go picket and do whatever, but it's really the shifting of money, isn't it? Well, you that know will...
1: what? Emails, I mean, yeah, avoiding things, you know, the power of your, your spending can make a difference, but okay. it doesn't take many emails to the right person to make a difference. And, and I okay. know this because I campaigned at our university for some environmental changes. And I don't know, we got like 20,000 staff or whatever. One email made no difference, but I only got six other colleagues to write. And then the vice chancellor came back saying, Oh, it looks like there's a real groundswell of opinion. We will do this. Interesting. Seven emails out of how many thousands of people was enough to give the impression of an upswell of opinion. And so, you know, a well-placed email to the right person, like I emailed our local cooperative supermarket. Because they have a food waste policy. But yeah, mm-hmm. you know, you can buy one four pint of milk for about, you know, £1.70 and two of them for £2.20. And it's like, well, who can drink all that before it goes off? It goes off really quickly. It's a high carbon footprint product. You know, a lot of they're encouraging waste through their pricing. So I emailed right. them, and straight away, straight away, I got someone on the phone. I mean, to be honest, it might be because I threatened to use them as a case study of greenwashing. <laughs> 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 but straight away, they would say, "Oh, you've got a really good point. We've passed that onto our marketing department." Right? Yeah. <laughs> it I mean not many emails to make a difference. Yeah, exactly. That's
0: that's an interesting, and it, it's interesting the ideas that you have that you could put into your books, because yeah. I think sometimes we think we have to go for the biggest solution, but incorporating in these little things and making it more, exp- it doesn't make any sense to somebody who doesn't have a lot of money to buy maybe what they're going to actually use. If yeah. it's cheaper, just in case yeah. to buy the, the bigger one, you know, that's always sort of been a problem. It, that would be, fairly easy to get into a book, just getting the reader thinking about that Mm -hmm. and what they can do maybe locally or or realizing it. Maybe they don't (laughs) even realize it, maybe realizing the food waste that they contribute. You know, I think a lot of our job, even as fiction writers, the most engaging story is something that gets the reader thinking, Yeah. you know,
1: long after they've read the book. So, I mean, I I guess one of the reasons then that, I became an author myself because I, I've written, you know, a lot. Writing is a big part of my job as an academic. Right. With the whole, all the green stories competitions and, and all the entries, I didn't really find a, a book that really captured that right mix okay. of giving readers agency and knowledge about what they could do themselves. There was some wonderful books, but not many met the criteria. So in desperation, I, I wrote my own book <laughs> because they say if you can't find the book you want. Yep you got to write it. Write it yourself. And um, I was just beginning to think that way when I I got an email through our local transition group, our local green group, and they said we have a local ecologist and he's given up his job in IT and he's devoting his life to helping making people's back gardens wildlife friendly. Okay. And I thought, well, my garden's a mess and I don't like Yeah, I need him over here. (laughs) And it turns out wildlife friendly means it's okay to leave your garden a mess, not know you're not. (laughs) Um, I like this. I like this. (laughs) There's a lot to recommend it. And so I invited him around and oh, he gave me so many great ideas, you know, which plants were great for pollinators and bumblebees and so on. He helped me install a water butt to conserve water, which is a real issue. And he knocked down my bamboo, which was non native and, you know, had low no wildlife potential. He planted some fruit trees, which would break the birds and bees and so on. Mm-hmm. Put a pond in, I got some frogs, you know, I <laughs> picked little nice. for hedgehogs to come in. And, you know, he was really, really committed. And, but he said, I feel I can do so little. I have so little time. I wish I could reach every garden. And I thought, hello, here's an idea. Perhaps I can use. Fiction as a way of spreading some of his ideas and, and broadening them beyond a little bit, just that garden. Right. And at first I thought it might make a lovely TV series, but one of the things I learned through the Green Stories competitions when we had great TV scripts is, mm-hmm. you know, no one's going to take on an author who's not already big in TV. It's, um, okay. it's too expensive. And right. um, in the end, a lot of the production companies who were sort of supporting me in principle said, We need to focus on books because we're much more likely to take a book and adapt it (laughs) once it's been successful and, you know, take on a a new script. So I wrote it as a story. And did you start
0: out with it being a short story or did you have the idea of novel?
1: I thought it might be nice as a series of short stories where like kind of every, you know, a lot of the ones, different garden in each story. And I can, you know, have a little fun. And each garden can have its own thing. Like in one he can dig up sort of an archaeological dig and discover coins. And another, he does a habitat for bats and frogs for the local wizard. And another one, he chances upon the polyamorist. And I thought in each one, I can have a little hook that keeps yeah. the reader engaged. You know, hey. whether it be when she's going to pounce on him to what <laughs> the magic is going to happen. <laughs> um, in one, he digs up a body, which obviously is buried later in a willow coffin, and he falls in love. So there's a love story. And I realized that I'd basically written five novels worth <laughs> things. So I sent it off with a developmental editor who was very encouraging and said, you're gonna have to cut at least half of this. Focus on focus on the love story. You can't have a body unless you do that properly. So a lot of it got hived off. So I have sequels backed up waiting to be Right. That. <laughs> I think that that was my lockdown project and it just kept me so happy because you feel so helpless dealing yeah. with climate change and so helpless in the face of COVID but when you're right. sat there tapping at your keyboard cackling what you can make your characters do and <laughs> the particulars yes. you can put them in you're in control you know right. it's a lovely feeling of control and I sort of At last, I had the opportunity to kind of spread and sprinkle in all the green solutions that I have in my head and don't have the opportunity to share in a way I'd like. And
0: and then I had to. I can see that going even farther than that, because just the idea of planting things that are local. I mean, Uh I'm in Virginia. There's bamboo all over the place clearly yeah. it's not local <laughs> so, <laughs> you know I'm already thinking okay I was going to plant some bamboo you already got me thinking maybe I shouldn't be doing that so I think yeah that yeah. Already just, once it's yeah, yeah yes it does it does it grows really quickly but I love that idea of using this man who, with his knowledge yeah. and sprinkling things in there and all these fun things that happen
1: and making it so accessible so that was the easy favorite, to take yeah. a step forward and that was one of the things I had to do is once I'd written it, I then had to go in and actually take out most of the green information because my, my readers, if they wanted to read a, a green book, they'd have bought a green book. This is mm. not as a rom-com, you know, Habitat Man, right. there's a rom-com. So I had to then take a lot of them back out. <laughs> oh and then goodness, I had to think, like, okay, show, don't tell, show, don't tell. And... So for example, rather than, you know, tell the reader about how brilliant a pond is in terms of biodiversity, I show it vicariously through the eyes of two young children who are absolutely lost in, you know, finding their pond dragon, you know, yeah. as in a newt <laughs> and sprinkling in some some backstory to, to, to keep, you know, and some love interest and so on to keep the reader's hook. So I had to then, once I've done it, is go back and do it better. Mm,
0: I think that's a really good point you're making though. That's how you make it. That's how you add your passion to your fiction without yeah. being preachy. So yeah. at first you might be a bit preachy because uh-huh. you just need to get everything out. Right. And then yeah. it's going around and being a little more strategic because I think we always want to get a hundred percent of the readers on board too. Like that's, Yeah. I don't know about you, but it's like, Oh, but I want you all to understand this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it would be better to get googling you know what does that mean and how does that then people throwing the book down because it's just getting too much especially if somebody's a little bit like "Mm, I don't know if this thing is true or whatever their circumstances are they might not bother reading forward right but you might reach other people
1: yeah and that's been the hardest thing to do because obviously I I kind of want to share these solutions but first and foremost it has to be entertaining and, right. um, I'm quite pleased when I got the first Amazon reviews in. And the funny thing is, that I thought I, oh, I'll get lots of Amazon reviews because lots of people I know will read it and they'll put lovely reviews up. None of my family read it. <laughs> no, this is, this is
0: writer's <laughs> biggest ilk. It's like our family and friends are like, that's wonderful. And then they don't read it.
1: <laughs> I know. And there's me worrying. Oh, I can't be ugly careful with the sex scenes. My boys will read it. Oh none of them have read it, and yeah. they read it. <laughs> <laughs> Like, well, I'm gonna put something in there to see if they will read it <laughs> I know I was listening to your podcast on who are you writing for and the things that might get in the way of writing what you want to write it's the fear of what people think right none of them read it and so in the end it was quite nice though because when I did get reviews they weren't necessarily yeah. people who knew me and right kind of be yes nice. it does feel good then <laughs> um you know a lot of them did comments on the fact that it wasn't lightly done it wasn't heavy oh, no. and um so all my sacrifices which were hard to make in terms of taking stuff out uh I, yeah. I do feel that they were worthwhile and I've done quite a few workshops now with writers because I realized I'm not the only one who has a passion for a cause Right. And wants to use fiction as a way to share that. So uh, some people might have a passion about racism or mm-hmm. you know family or sexuality or or climate change, like like me. But a lot of people have a passion for a cause, and a lot of people, as a result, can do some really you know motivated, passionate writing. But can also be quite clunky. Right. So yes. I've I've done a few workshops because I can bring to it my research. Actually, on mm-hmm. how a lot of my research is based on psychology. And okay. engagement and motivators and behaviors so I can draw on some of the research, yep. help, but also my own personal experience now of True. you know judging the green stories, writing competitions, writing myself. Yeah. You sort of give some tips to to help people on that journey.
0: Yeah, I think you learn a lot when you're judging or editing another piece yeah. of work. Like you called for all these stories, and like you said, a lot of them came in not what you wanted, not following criteria. Yeah. <laughs> or the writing wasn't very good and that's when you realize okay what not to do yeah <laughs> you know, let's, let's then focus on how to do what we do want to do and it, fiction did you find fiction writing to be more difficult than academic writing or did you fall into it pretty easily
1: well at first I thought well I read constantly and I know I can write it will be easy <laughs> Yeah,
0: you know, it's um, a good <laughs> thought to have
1: though. otherwise we'd never start right <laughs> and um Oh, yeah, it wasn't easy. So some is just poured out of me and I, I, you know, I had no trouble with writers' rock. I I wrote and wrote and wrote, but then I'd read it. And i think, "Uh aha, right, this this needs polishing. And then Mm. I, I did find that I know now about the artistic temperament. So I've generally been quite even-keeled, but I developed an artistic temperament. I'd <laughs> be euphoric where I'd written something; I was so pleased with myself about I thought, I've solved this problem of backstory in a witty and innovative way. Oh, oh, I'm the best thing since J.K. Rowling. And then I'd be thrown into the dumps by some clunky piece of rubbish that I just couldn't <laughs> find my way around. So <laughs> and yeah, I was quite quite impossible. My my poor partner. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, the one who had to break it to me you know when first drafts were definitely shitty first drafts yeah you know
0: <laughs> yes it does happen as much as we really in the back of our heads like yeah. We think, yeah but not mine so <laughs> no, it's gonna be great <laughs> you think oh no I yeah. have a, a friend in my group she writes her first draft and then she puts it away in a drawer for a few months yeah, and I think I'm starting to think that that's a very good idea.
1: <laughs> uh, I've had to impatience. patience. It's, it's true. Patience
0: is hard. Yeah, I know. When, especially when you're passionate about something, you want to get it mm-hmm. out right away, right? You want people. And there's an urgency as well. Yeah,
1: with the green whole agenda, you know, I feel an urgency. So that that added a, a little bit of stress, but it also made me, you know, it, it kept me motivated. True. But I, I found as well, feedback from other people was so essential. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful to all the people who who took the time to read the early drafts, to those who like were encouraging and gave me hope, and those who took a chance and were honest and made me realise that I Mm -hmm. needed to do better. Um, right. I realize it's a lot easier to accept someone's critique once you've thought of a way around it, and it's like so a way more mm-hmm. pointing at a problem. But how do I solve that issue? Yeah, once well, you worked it out, yeah, of course they were right. Why didn't I see? Yeah, I away? Know.
0: we can't we can't <laughs> avoid that first little oh, that really hurt. <laughs> and that yeah, that's why I, I suggest that people never write back in an email ever, ever. Just give no. yourself some time because yeah. you'll think about it and be like. No, they're almost always right. They are almost always correct that something doesn't work.
1: <laughs> and it's kind of them to to right. take the chance of being honest as yeah. well. You know, I, I do really appreciate that eventually. <laughs> yes,
0: eventually is a good word to say <laughs> so, so when did Habitat Man come out? It came out during the pandemic?
1: No, well, it it can't well, it's kind of still going on, isn't it? It came out in September, so okay. just a few months ago. And um now I'm trying to the uh, the audiobook should be out in a few days. So, Wonderful. Oh uh, the audiobook was, was such fun. I, I I did a book launch and I got people I hate reading my own work. You know, I can talk off the cuff, but I'm so monotone when I read stuff out. So I got other people to read out their things. That's a good idea. Tracks. Yeah. And it came alive and I thought I have to do an audiobook. So hearing it is a whole different experience. Mm. And I I realized next time I write a book, I will get someone to narrate it and use mm-hmm. that as an editing process. Cause you then hear where well, there's repetition or you hear, you know, he really brought emotion to it. And, you know, right. it, and I'm so excited about, about that coming out. So that should so be. So how
0: was that experience getting the audio book? Where, where did you um, well, I, I just
1: on? went on the audible platform simply okay. because it's probably the, the, the best known. Mm-hmm. And um, I was amazed at how many people straight up, you know, auditioned for it and it's quite hard finding the, the right person but and it's a strangely intimate relationship when there's someone because my protagonist is male mm-hmm. and um having someone read out your hero and then bring their interpretation to it yeah it, it was <laughs> it was a strange and, and wonderful experience I, I really enjoyed Good. it and he was very patient with my perfectionism and uh, <laughs> right. Because right. you hear it in your head, but he doesn't necessarily hear it the same way, and so True. there's lots of toing and froing. But
0: so it's a it's a very like you you don't just hand over your book; you really work with the person. And, yeah. And,
1: and okay. Yeah. That's, so it takes
0: a lot of time, then.
1: It did a, a lot of listening to it. So. so you've read
0: and listened to your book multiple times. Yeah, I know word for word now. Hey, but if you're not really, really tired of it, it's a good book. See. <laughs> <laughs> So like, if I'm not going to throw it away at this point, it actually is very
1: good. Uh, now I'm trying to work on a, a prequel. Okay. Uh, I kind of want to go back in time to play out a little bit of the backstory. And then I want to go forward. So I've got my, my characters have demanded more time. So I, yes. I definitely have found that. I Oh my God, I think I've got five sort of big story arcs in my head. That's, um, It's just managing that with, with a day job as well. Uh, it's yeah. time management. I was listening to that podcast yeah, um, yeah that, that's definitely an issue it's just there's just right. time for it all but so
0: you're going to go back to sort of short story arcs that you had already decided or are you going to move on to, to well I had
1: it? to cut like I said I probably had to cut right. a good half of it to streamline it into a, a book that wasn't ethically long so a lot of those storylines are going to be played out in you're going to bring them back and, Wonderful. yeah and I I did think a, a prequel would be nice sort of a, a retro piece set in, in the late 80s will, will be fun as well yeah so I'm really looking yeah. forward to, to to writing those
0: yes oh that sounds very exciting I think the best is when you really desire to get the words out yeah you, they're almost you almost don't have enough time yeah <laughs> maybe you'll I don't know how you'll find time with a, with a day job you're like I'm doing other important things guys Just <laughs> somebody else teach my classes but you you're continuing with the the short story competition that's been yeah. going on since 2018. How did it go during the pandemic? Were there a lot more competition? Were well, people more engaged in writing? It's sort or of more e- entries
1: every year. We've run a different different kinds of competitions. Okay. So um, we haven't done a short story competition every year. So this will be our second short story competition. Okay. So we've done one of them in 2018. We did a flash fiction one in 2019. So uh, this we're going back to short stories. We've got. One named under 18s to get them to school, okay. get get the youngsters involved, and one aimed at adults. Oh, so, wonderful. Yes, yeah, so I think it has to be 5,000 words or less. So that's one. We're and is it running. open to the world or is it just open local? to the world? Okay. Uh, any, anyone can enter, it just has to be written in English and meet the open okay. criteria. And okay. then we've got the Nobel prize, which we're going to run it in December every year. So to people to have one
0: well. year, they have about yeah. 11 months to get that figured yeah. out. So it definitely needs to be a finished novel before they... Well, oh, the way
1: it. we're doing with that is we asked for three chapters and a summary okay. to begin with. So I'd say you can get away with it being in draft form or, you know, semi-complete, only complete in draft form, because if we like it, by the time we've got back to it, it takes a while to work our way through, you know. Right. So hopefully the, the, the writing has progressed in a bit. And we can also mentor them and give them some feedback Mm. and so on so but the aim is then to help them actually get it to a point of a publishable book okay. and we offer half price manuscript appraisals is part of the package as well okay. okay
0: so you're not looking for actually already published you're really looking no. for manuscripts
1: I mean, if they are self-published and um, they've sold less than 100 just on a very minor level and are right. willing to do a second edition okay <laughs> and it fits the criteria mm-hmm. that's okay but properly publish out their book you know, that's, that's beyond change. No. So it's not a book award. It's more a prize for ongoing writing.
0: Yeah. I, I like that. Cause otherwise, yeah. Having a full book to hand in and make sure it's exactly what it should be. Yeah. <laughs> that, would be that would be hard. So that that's interesting. People will have about, they have about, about 11, eleven eleven yeah, months yeah. to sort of get that in.
1: And normally I'd say in the course of the year, they keep an eye on the, the green stories webpage. And that's GreenStories.org. Yeah, .org. Okay. Um we often have workshops coming up. So Okay. So I'm just trying to check. Is it greenstorm? Yeah, it's .org.uk.
0: <laughs> order, UK. So okay.
1: greenstories.org.uk. So at some point I'm usually running some kind of writing workshop. So over the last year, they've pretty well all been online, but I right. um so they, they keep an eye on that. The best way probably is to sign up to either Stories website or my website, which is just okay. daaden.com, and then they'll be informed whenever. This, um, right, with their newsletter. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. And
0: your book is called Habitat Man, the wrong one. That's right, poem. yeah. <laughs> and if they probably sign up for your newsletter, they'll get information on when the next, on when the prequel, how that's going, when that's yep. coming out.
1: And with the audio books
0: out and and so on, yeah. Oh, yes, the the audio. (laughs) I love audio. I don't drive as much as I used to, but I still love audio. (laughs) And then I will put the links for your social media. As I said, I met Denise on Twitter. I'm not super active on there, but you can can find her links in the show notes below. You can also find her at, I think it's D.A. Baden
1: on Twitter, are you? It's D.A. Baden author.
0: Author. Yeah. yeah we always have to have that's interesting that you must you must have somebody else out there with DA
1: Baby. <laughs> I know it's, it's remarkable isn't it I thought it's not that well-known a name but um, yeah <laughs> and then, yeah here we are
0: but well thank you so much Denise for coming on I really love this idea of integrating your passion into your writing I, well, thanks I for think it's me. really lovely
1: it's so such a delight so listening to podcasts to to find myself a guest so, so thanks for inviting me yes thank you
0: If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group.